Glory to you, O Lord. Our gospel this morning comes from St. John, chapter 17, verses 1 through 11. It is on page 1679 in your pew Bible. John records, After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those who have given him, that you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed to you, I have revealed you to those who gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words that you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours, and all I have is yours, and all that you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Today is the seventh Sunday of Easter, and today's gospel, once again, places us in the upper room. On the evening before Jesus died for us on the cross, we know that Judas has left the gathering and is on his way to the authorities in order to get the band of soldiers that he will lead to Gethsemane in order to betray Jesus. And Jesus has pretty much finished teaching, the teaching that he intended to give his disciples in that place, the upper room. He is almost ready to go to Gethsemane where he will be arrested. Almost ready. Now, Jesus knowing that his disciples were about to experience three of the scariest, most lonely days of their lives, 
Jesus has one last thing to do before they leave for Gethsemane. He prayed. He prayed to the Father on their behalf. He allowed the disciples to listen in. And we call this prayer Jesus' high priestly prayer. And it is the gospel for this day. Well, at least part of that prayer is the gospel assigned today. This prayer, it, it teaches us much about Jesus' attitude towards us. This is the evening before his death on the cross, and he knew it. And we really could, well, we certainly should understand if he was totally focused on his upcoming suffering and death. But he's not. He is showing that his concern is for his followers. And later on in Gethsemane, he will pray for himself, but there in the upper room, just before they leave for Gethsemane, he prayed. He prayed for those who will feel so alone and so frightened during the coming days. These are the days of his gauntlet of sorrow, suffering, and death. They are the days that, well, the days of his wait in the tomb. He prayed. He prayed for those who will hide behind locked doors until they see him face to face after his resurrection. And this prayer is for us. It's for us as well. Although Jesus has never left us, he has taken his visible presence away from us. He has ascended into heaven, and although he is with us, we cannot see him. He has not yet come to take us into our eternal home. So, we find ourselves in a time of waiting for Jesus to reveal himself. We are in a time, and the time is this. It's the time of now, but not yet. He is with us now, but we cannot yet see him with our physical eyes. He has given heaven to us now, but we cannot yet experience it as we will, most assuredly, in eternity. And all of Christ's gifts already belong to us now, but we cannot yet experience them to the fullest. And so, we live in the time of now, but not yet. Jesus' prayer is for all those who wait in the world now, in the world of now, but not yet. Now, while we live in the tension of the now, but not yet, of the Christian life, we also live in the tension of being in the world, but not of the world. We are like resident aliens, people who reside in one country but are 
citizens of another. One of the problems that we have is that even though we are aliens in this world, we expect to get along in it and with it. We expect to prosper in a world that is not our home. Some will even tell you that when you become part of God's family, that everything will start turning up roses. That you will become wealthy and more attractive. That when you join God's family, your relationship with your spouse will will blossom and your children will rise up and call you blessed. Some will tell you that in God's family, your health will improve and you will have more energy. This description will tell you that God wants nothing but material and social prosperity for you. And this deception tells you that the worldly success, that any worldly success, actually indicates a superior standing with God. This just isn't true. Jesus has a different teaching. In his prayer, he prayed this, the world has hated them because they are not of the world. And that doesn't sound at all like the prosperity we hear so much about for this world. Because we are resident aliens in this world, this world is out to get us. The devil, the world, and our own sinful nature constantly confront and attack us. Now sometimes the attack is direct and obvious. For example, martyrs die in Roman arenas and German gas chambers. In modern times, governments have actually used aircraft to bomb and destroy Christian communities in their own countries. And other times, the temptation is, is a whole lot more subtle. The evil forces in this world use enticements and pleasures to draw us away from God. There is the deception that makes a sin seem so harmless and so good and, wow, so desirable that at the time, it's hard to look away. And while we consider the temptation, everything looks good about that sin. Everything looks pleasant. And this has been the weapon of evil from the very beginning in Eden. For we read in Genesis 3, verse 6, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. You know, temptation always seems like a good idea at the time. It would not be tempting if it didn't. This world is a world of sin, where we 
are citizens of this world or citizens of heaven, we will sin while we live in this world. And even we who are bound from heaven, bound for heaven, must mourn along with Paul when he wrote his letters to the Romans. In Romans 7, verse 19, he said, I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. We are saints in God's eyes for Jesus' sake, but we continue to sin. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. The people of this world operate on a spectrum of beliefs when they deal with sin. On one end of the spectrum are those who are deceived, and they've deceived themselves into believing that they do not sin. We say that every Sunday at the beginning. If we say we are without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. This typically involves a dilution of God's justice. They are either toning down God's law to the point that they can keep it, or they get rid of God's law altogether. Now, in Scripture, the Pharisees are examples of this. In spite of the fact that they studied the Scriptures constantly, they interpreted the law in a way that, that made it uh, doable. They saw the law as something that they could actually keep. They made keeping the law into an external activity, an activity that was designed to impress men so that they would become objects of praise for their good works. And in fact, they were in denial about their true status in God's eyes. At the other end of the spectrum are people like Judas. Judas, is a, an, he's an example of despair. Judas did not deny his sin at all. He understood that he deserved the punishment. In his case, the evil forces of the world convinced Judas that his sin was more powerful than God's forgiveness. And instead of repenting and asking for forgiveness, he hung himself. And evil used the great sin of despair to push Judas over the edge and into the abyss of eternal punishment. The people of this world stand all along the spectrum. Some are quite proud of their own righteousness. Others don't really care. And still others destroy themselves in despair. And eventually they will all stand before God and realize their mistake, but it will be too late. When the Holy Spirit works faith in us so that we can place our trust in Jesus Christ, a new way, a new way opens up to us. Our citizenship is no longer in this world. Instead, it is in heaven. 
And we live in this world as aliens. When the forces of evil overwhelm us and we sin, we have an ambassador with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And the Holy Spirit has given us the sight. He's given us eyes to see our sins and mourn our inability to keep God's law. He has made known the reality of the punishment that our sins deserve. However, instead of driving us into despair, for those who believe, our sin drives us to Jesus Christ. The depth of our sin shows us the height of his love. The love that sacrificed itself on a cross in order to free us from guilt, the guilt of our sin. The love that revoked our citizenship in this world and made us citizens of heaven and given the right to be called, the power to be called the children of God. And by the Holy Spirit's power, we do not deny our sins, but readily confess them before God. And by the Holy Spirit's power, we find ourselves offering God the highest praise as we beg God be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus prays for us. In his high priestly prayer, he prayed that the Holy Father will keep us in his name. And in this way, he will, he will have, by grace, the unity that the Father and the Son have by nature. We will have that. And as we look at the words that Jesus used, he used the words holy, Father, and name. We see that Jesus' prayer is a variation of the beginning of the prayer that he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And as we listen to Jesus' prayer, we learn that the closer we are to the Father, the closer that we are to each other. When the Father keeps us in his name, when he keeps us in his name, we, then we are not, excuse me, <laughs> when the Father keeps us in his name, then we are at one in him. So how did Jesus keep us in the Father's name? How does he do that? Well, his prayer tells us that as well, we, when he prayed to the Father, he said this, I have given them your word. He kept them in the Father's name by teaching them the Father's word. And he still works that way today. Martin Luther said that that very same thing when he explained how we keep God's name holy amongst ourselves. Luther wrote, God's name is kept holy when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity. And we, as the children of God, lead godly lives according to it. 
And he says, help us to do this to your Father in heaven. And he goes further and says, but anyone who teaches or lives contrary to God's word profanes the name of God among us. Protect us from this, Heavenly Father. It is God's word in the divine service. It is God's word in Bible class, in the men's study on Saturday. It is God's word in family and private devotions that keeps us in the Holy Father's name. The Holy Spirit uses God's word to revoke our citizenship in this world and to establish and maintain our citizenship in heaven. It is Jesus, our great high priest, that loves us so much. And when any normal person would be concerned for his own upcoming suffering and death, we know that Jesus was praying for us. He was praying that we would remain in the Holy Father's name by the power of his word. He was about to go to the cross in order to make it so that we would be in this world, but not of it. And he prayed to his Father to keep us that way. Jesus prays for you. He prays for me. In the name of Jesus, amen.